welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello and welcome to our third in our series of Trailblazers and we've got some very interesting people to listen to today. Joining me today is Ben Thompson, Deputy Chief Executive of Mortgage Advice Bureau. Ben, if you actually looked at him, you wouldn't believe that he's actually been in financial services since 1986. 2016 is probably more likely. Uh, Prior to joining MAB, he was uh, Chief Executive Officer at ULS. And prior to that, he ran the mortgage uh, club for LNG, as well as all distribution and and the business banking division as well. Before that, he was at St. James's Place and TSB. And joining both Ben and I is Chloe Hilton. And to save me an enormous amount of effort, I am going to ask Chloe to introduce herself. Can you tell us what you do, what your remit is, etc., before we get into how you got where you are? Chloe. Thank you, Barrett. So my name is Chloe Hilton. I am currently a senior managing surveyor at Legal and General Surveying Services. My remit currently is to perform uh, a small amount of field surveys, so doing valuation work and survey work. And I also manage a team of 14, soon to be 15, field surveyors who cover London and the South East. I have been in the industry for coming up for seven years now. Prior to that, I was in And then even prior to that, I was a serving member of the Royal Air Force. So I'm on my third career change and I have a uh, nearly 13 year old daughter and I generally enjoy, I mean, there's not a lot to enjoy at the moment, but when I can, I'm very much a gym bunny. I do like to read a lot and have quite a lot of interest in bizarrely a lot of crime drama. So that's how I spend my evenings and and free time at the moment. Have you ever found a dead body when you've been doing any surveys, Claire? Um, no, but there have been times when we do, uh, unfortunately, when people pass and we have probate work and you go into kind of houses that have been shut up and there is always a slight feeling of trepidation. And when you go into roof spaces, what are you going to find? Will it be a wasp's nest? Will everything fall on top of your head? I very often uh, have to pick out dead woodlouse out of my hair, but not a dead body as yet. So you, you you moved into surveying. Ben and I will sort of like discuss why we think, and I'd like your view on it too, uh, why surveying is such a, a male-dominated industry. RICS stats showed that 2018, only 15% of all surveyors in the UK were women. So what made you move into this industry? What were your drivers? Uh, and were you in any way put off or aware of the fact that it was so male-dominated? 
In complete honesty, I didn't have as good a knowledge of the industry when I made this move. I was working as a lettings manager at the time and I was just I was just done. I was burnt out with with that industry and with that job. And I wanted to do something where it was it was just more about me and and me doing my own work and not somebody kind of on my back all the time with uh, targets and whatnot. And there was an opportunity in the corporate company that I was working with to become a trainee surveyor. So I did a quick bit of research and thought, why not go for it? So I actually didn't have the perception that it was a male dominated industry to start with. And when I, I went for the uh, trainee surveyor interview, it, it was a panel of, I think, two men and a woman. So no flags. Um, and then as I kind of got through my training, got into my grouping, there was two women in, in a group of, I think it was about 10 of us. So that was kind of my first little indicator. And But luckily for me, my mentor, um, the surveyor who I shadowed for my training was a woman and there were some women in senior management. So at that point, it didn't really flag to me it was a male-dominated industry, but when it did start to occur to me was when I would turn up to people's houses, knock on the door and introduce myself, and they would look at me with, with surprise and say, oh, you're a woman. Um, I don't really see that many female surveyors. And I would tend to, throughout a day, play bingo with myself about how many times I would hear that phrase or something similar in a day. That, that's fantastic, Chloe. And so, Ben, in, in your very, very long time in the mortgage industry, you'd have worked with surveyors quite a lot in many of your roles as they are an essential part of the whole mortgage process. You will have known it's a male-dominated. I mean, for Chloe, ignorance was bliss in a, in a way, but you would have known it was a male-dominated industry. What do you think makes it so? Is there anything there that girls are put off or, or it seemed butch or whatever? What, do you have any opinions on that? Well, reflex reaction is definitely not butch. Um, I think the it's a really difficult question to answer. My first observation is that 15% figure is not a great stat, is it, in the year 2021? But if I go back to you know the time I can talk around as having been in the industry since probably what, 1986, which is a fair old while, the only sort of stab I can have at the answer is certainly, you know, back at that time and for, for years after that, just about every single, you know, valuation or survey, if not all of them, were home visits, weren't they? So, of course, we've got a lot more AVM now, a lot more digital. So the surveying industry as a whole is made up of different skill sets completely. But back then, it was very much your archetypal grey haired white male suit, home visits 100% of the time. And I just wondered if that was any type of influence on the type of candidate who typically turned up at someone's home. And I was very interested to hear Chloe's reaction to the surprise on customers' faces, you know, almost today or in recent years, as to the fact a female has turned up at the doorstep. That tells you a huge amount, but why it should be so stereotypical or typecast, I actually don't know, other than just whether it relates to home visits many years ago. But I would say my perception still today, it's a male-dominated industry, and it's worth pausing for thought on that, I think. It is, and, and indeed in our own space. I think when you look at the whole mortgage market, as maybe when you started, Ben, there weren't that many female mortgage advisors, but now there are a lot more, and some of the best ones, just looking at the shortlisted lady advisors for, at the British Mortgage Awards from MAB, I think about two-thirds of everybody that uh, gets nominated from MAB on the advice side is a woman, which I think is fantastic. I agree. I mean, I can picture some very, very, very good female mortgage advisors. 
you know, again, probably some quite a few years ago, 20 plus years ago now, when I was more in a supervisory capacity, you know, I, the very best advisor we had was female based in sort of Sunbury area and she was outstanding. And there are many more just like that. So at least that side, I think, has evolved and progressed over more recent years. And that's that's a really good thing to assume. So, Chloe, you've obviously not uh, thought of any hurdles or come across any hurdles when you started in the industry because you were blissfully ignorant of the potential hurdles that you you actually had. But as you progressed to your current position, have you had to overcome any hurdles or had to work differently because you're a woman? And indeed, if you don't mind me sharing, you're also from a mixed heritage background. Do you think that has had any influences on what you've had to do to get to where you are? I don't think so. There are some hurdles as a as a woman in this industry that are more prevalent at the forefront of my mind than with my male counterparts. And that centers around loan working. As a woman going into empty properties, dealing with the general public, working at height, there are safety implications with that. So whilst we uh, as a company and all other surveying firms have loan working policies and devices, I think as a woman, I am more keen on what they are, what the processes are, what happens. Whereas some of my male counterparts, it probably they probably wouldn't think that much about them or be that bothered by them. But because of previous instances with women's safety, the uh, estate agency case where where that woman um, was killed, it is one of my questions that I ask if I'm being interviewed for a surveying role, because my safety is really important. And and as a woman, you are statistically more likely for something to happen to you than, than with your male with regards to anything untoward. So that's something that I've always had to make sure is an important part of my working life. Not as much of a hurdle, but definitely a massive consideration. With regards to my ethnicity, I actually have what a lot of people call light skin privilege. So most people, when they look at me, they don't actually think that I am mixed heritage. I have quite pale skin. And if I straighten my hair, I I do think that most people think that I might have had a bit of lip filler and a bit of fake tan. So I don't actually look very ethnically diverse. So whilst that I haven't had any hurdles against me for my ethnicity, there's always been something in the back of my mind that because I tick a diversity box and a lot of companies do try and, and up their numbers, but actually the way that I look, that people's perception might be that I'm more palatable for an ethnic minority, that because I don't look the way that a lot of other people do, that it's fine and it's an easier win. And so maybe that speaks a little bit more to my imposter syndrome that I I worry that because I'm a woman and because I do tick some boxes that I'm more of a preferred option because it it reflects well on a company. So that's not a hurdle and that probably speaks a little bit more to my own maybe insecurities and imposter syndrome that I have. I think having got two daughters, imposter syndrome is is something that is a very real thing with women in the workplace and, and does need to be addressed constantly and not just as a one-off. And Ben, as uh, you know, somebody who is in a very senior position at a very large player in the mortgage market, how would you go about overcoming this idea that if somebody from an underrepresented group gets a promotion, it's only because they are from that group? Yes, and talking about this, funny enough, internally recently, a week or 10 days ago, and I think the responsibility that we would have, I mean, first, the first thing to say is, from our perspective, we're pretty much half and half, you know, male, female. And I think from an ethnicity perspective, we're probably 
on par with other organizations in this sector. And that leads me to say the one thing which I think is most important, which is I think we have a collective responsibility to more proactively seek talent from broader communities, if you like, whether it's the ethnicity or gender side of things, to proactively court the best talent that the country has to offer, wherever that may be. Now, I think that's almost to a point where the responsibility in that regard ends. And I don't think as a sector generally, we're trying hard enough to do that at the moment. So I think if we look at traditional recruitment agencies and recruitment policies, I think they're fairly archetypally made up of the typical footprint of ethnicity and gender, if you like. Where I think we can try a bit harder is to proactively go after real talent that belongs to different categories, if you like. Now, if we do that, then let's just focus on a a recruitment opportunity. What we have done is we filled the prospect hopper, if you like, with a broader talent set from different backgrounds. And then I think it simply comes down to whoever the best candidate is through the interviewing process, through qualifications, through experience. That's the person, whether male or female, and and whatever else that diversity or ethnicity provides, that's the person who should get the job. Picking up on what Chloe was sort of inferring or saying a, a few minutes ago, the one thing that worries me around all of this is, I suppose, management by stats. And that just feels wrong on all counts. It should simply be the best person gets the job. And whatever that outcome is, is the outcome. But the one defining bit for me is I think we can try a lot harder as an industry to proactively look more broadly than maybe certainly historically we have been. And that's the biggest responsibility I think we all have. That's a, a very good point, Ben. What I feel, and it, and it was touched on a last month's podcast where we were talking about employment, is the interview process. Do you think we need to balance off somebody who's got experience with somebody who has got a cultural fit, whose ambition fits more precisely with the company that they're actually going to be working for, but doesn't have the experience because they're from a representative group that doesn't or has not had the opportunity to work in our industry. Do you think we need to add that sort of little element to the interview process to try and make the interview process fairer? That's a great question. I mean, I think matching for role covers all sorts of things, doesn't it? It could be geographical. I can definitely see in a call center environment, there's a very good voice to recruit, isn't there? Which has a huge relevance that could take you down certain paths. So I I do think that matching needs to be considered on all fronts. And I think looking back on areas that that I've covered in in sort of previous decades, you know, I looked to certain parts of the country where I think it was very definitely right that you recruited someone who was a match to their environment because they're likely to have more success. But of course, that led to the right outcomes and different types of people getting the roles at the time because of different parts of the country. So I think it's just it's caught up in that same argument. I think if I go back to what I was saying before, I think you start very, very wide and then you think you narrow into the best fit for the role through qualifications, but also through your point around matching as well. And and Chloe, this, this leads us very nicely to a conversation that we had when we were speaking, where you said if there was any form of prejudice that you felt that came your way, it was more likely to be because of your accent, which is somewhere between Birmingham and Scouse, which possibly makes it the most untrustworthy accent in the country. (laughs) And and also your accent defined you when you were in the forces. Do you just want to tell us a bit about that and the issues you've sort of come across with? And I think it's a lovely accent. Well, thank you, Barrett. I suppose being in the military, there are people from all over the UK and from abroad as well. So you're all thrown together to live, eat, sleep, work. And every Everybody needs to find their role. And especially when you're joining up and you're quite young, it is quite a sort of college uni environment in a way. So uh, finding your own identity, but also everybody 
feels the need to I to label people and to identify them and to put them in a certain space. So you have that accent, therefore you are like that. And and people tend to congregate together in, in where they're from. The people from the northeast will will kind of stick together, and and people from London and various other bits and bobs. So whilst it wasn't a, a kind of a nasty horrible thing but you do get judged on it and I see various polls where people say what rating the worst accents and Liverpool and Birmingham all always come up and it always makes me laugh and makes me wonder what is it about these accents and why is it whether it's consciously or unconsciously where people bias you because of your accent and 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 it's not just obviously Birmingham and Liverpool there's other accents where people go oh goodness um and and why should that hold you back in, in a professional environment I appreciate if you if you spoke in English, maybe if you don't know sort of certain words or lingo or jargon or whatever, but why should your accent define you and why should it hold you back and why should people judge you on it? Not least of which, just to chip in there, because, you know, if you take Birmingham and Liverpool, they're two enormous cities, aren't they? So if you're calling into a call centre from those areas, of course, you want to match off with someone who's got a similar accent to yourself as well. So it's daft when you analyse it that way, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But also it can be quite comforting. And doing this job, going into people's homes, it's always quite an emotive time. Whatever financial things they're going through, buying, selling, probate, divorce, whatever. If you have a different accent, people can relate to you for different reasons. So I've had conversations about, oh, football because of Birmingham, even though I don't know anything about it. But so whilst it can hinder you in some ways in, a, in an environment, a lot of people will warm to you and, and, and will relax slightly because they hear a certain accent and they have certain connotations of, oh, my mom grew up in Birmingham. So it, it can be quite nice and comforting to people as well. That is an excellent point, because if you've got an anodyne accent, then you are just a voice and nothing else. If you have got an accent, then you're a voice with a little bit of local colour, a little bit of history, a little bit of charm. I think that's an important point. And I often regret that after 30 years in London, when I first came down here, I had a very broad Mancunian accent and it's gone apart from bus and bath. But there you go. It is interesting, though, Barrett, just in brief, though, isn't it? Because we think we're relatively neutral because we're from London stroke southeast. But if you go up north or if you go to Scotland, we're southerners. Yes, this is true. So what is actually a neutral accent? I'm not sure there is one. Very good point, Ben. If we sort of start discussing how we can address getting more women into your industry, Chloe, is there anything you're doing? I read an RICS report which says more women are applying, but do you see that sort of idea that surveying is a, a male industry or as the point you made before, is a safety element to it? Women are not comfortable going alone into houses and working in the evening or whatever. Do you think that the industry itself is doing enough or anything to combat that? I think the industry is doing some to combat it. The RICS starting their ASOCRICS programme to allow people to join the industry from more of a vocational route in and that opens up to a wider spectrum of people. You don't have to have gone to university and done a building surveying degree or, or such similar. So that the RICS has done a great thing there and then we have other um, kind of the SAVA programme uh, which again gets people through the ASOCRIC. So it just it broadens it. With regards to making it appeal more to women um, I think more work does need to be done there but again it comes down to public perception. So me turning up at 
matter how being a female surveyor and people being surprised by it. And I think that's because property is to do with buildings, knowing how they're constructed, why they're constructed like that, what the issues are with them. And I think that knowledge is automatically assumed to be a male knowledge, property maintenance, property understanding. It's it's very much a male thing. So it's, it's encouraging women to understand that it's not a male thing. You can understand what a chimney stack is, what it's made of, what it's for, what the issues are with it. And not only that, that once you have that knowledge, this career in this job, actually, for me as a single parent, it has been brilliant. I'm able to, or I have been able to do the school run. I go out and do my jobs in the morning. I'm back for lunchtime. I'm here when my daughter gets home and I can work from home in the afternoon. And actually for a home life balance, it's it's brilliant for, 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 for anybody, but for women who do have children, it can work really well in a family environment. So it's just influencing perception on the intricacies. A lot of women will say, oh, I don't, I don't want to go into the roof space and it's full of spiders and cobwebs. And I used to hate spiders, but now I just pick them out of my hair when I find one in there and it's fine. It's like with anything, you, you just have to get over the small hurdles that only you put in front of yourself. As an industry, we aren't putting these hurdles in front of women and discouraging it and not making it appealing. I just think we need to do more work to educate people about what the role entails and, and, and how brilliant it is and how it can work for them. Just briefly, just chip in with a quick question on that. If, if I could sort of overly simplify a couple of those reasons into sort of perceived expertise stroke experience, if you like, in the housing property construction bit, which is your first point, and the other point, which is the sort of health and safety side to a, a female entering a house, if you like. On, on the latter point, is there more the industry can do to make that a safer environment for the women who clearly have the expertise in that area? And you're saying quite rightly can be a very, very helpful and productive occupation? I think that loan working is at the forefront of, of every company in the surveying industry and extreme lengths are gone too. So it's an outsource where there are devices, there are panic alarms, there's automation calling through to emergency services, there's a, a person down setting. So if you're, if you're unmoving for a while and all of these alerts feed into either managed company head offices and, and they come through to myself, my own team, so I, we can quickly ascertain where they are, what's wrong with them, call them. So I don't, I don't think that there's anything on that point that I can see for more to be done. We have very strict controls about, we know where people are going, their diaries are planned out and, and they have this loan working device along with panic buttons. So I think that wouldn't dissuade anybody from entering the industry. So all the right things being done, I just wonder whether or not people actually would be aware that that sort of protection is already in place because they're all really good points and you'd like to think that's all there, but does do people know that? That's, I guess that's the question. Well, and that's why I ask it in my interviews, because I'm female and it's important to me. But if a, if a male colleague was interviewing a woman, they might not think to actually push that and, and make it really, really clear about the lengths that we as a company go to to ensure her safety as, as much as we can. So it is a good point. And it is maybe an education piece, Ben, yeah. That's a fantastic pitch for surveying for, as a job for women. And up until the time you mentioned spiders, I think you may have lost them. <laughs> <laughs> I like spiders. But, but you are true, and I love that point that uh, you need to overcome small hurdles that only you put in front of yourself. And I think certainly going back to the start when we were talking about imposter syndrome, there is this issue that a lot of what's holding you back when you suffer from imposter syndromes 
is just yourself because nobody else is thinking this. Only you are thinking this about yourself. Ben, with a big gender balanced team, do you, as a deputy chief executive, do you go out of your way to be conscious of imposter syndrome in, in some of your leading female colleagues? I listened to a podcast that Donna was on, and she's mentioned having imposter syndrome too. Yeah, it's, it's a theme that's, you know, over the years, I've become mindful of. And one or two people who've worked for me and with me have been quite open about. But again, one of not giving a fairly sort of neutral and boring answer, I guess I kind of just don't see it. And I'm glad I don't, because I think things have moved on so much to the point where certainly in our working environment, it feels incredibly normal to have plenty of really talented women around us and offering very, very valid input, feedback, experience and everything else. And it, I just don't see it. And to me, that's a mark of progress. It's a sign of progress, because, again, I go back to you know previous decades. It was a lot more unusual. I started in a bank and I'm just trying to picture the environment now, but there were far fewer women in there. You know, the ethnicity mix was far lighter, if you like. But as the years have progressed, it's become significantly better. And we've got some real talent around us and we're really lucky to have it. So I don't really see it, even though I know one or two have voiced it over the years. I think that's really interesting what you said, Ben. And and I think seeing imposter syndrome, I, I don't think it's something that necessarily you would see as evident as being imposter syndrome. It would tend to come out in other ways, trying to overachieve, working extra longer. And, and also, if anything does go wrong, how that's handled internally, the devastation, the worry, the concern that you're wrong, you've not, you're not good enough and then the spiral out of that. It tends to be those kind of things that wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily identify as imposter syndrome, but that, that will kind of be evident in some of their actions when something is either going really well and that they won't want to take the compliment or, or tell you that everybody it was everybody else's input, not theirs, or when something doesn't go quite that well and it's the sheer angst that, oh my goodness, I'm going to be found out, I shouldn't be here, I'm not good enough, and, and how that comes out in a workplace. So it, it would be very finite noticing it, and, and I don't think it would be that evident. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, certainly you've marked my cards on that one. I need to be very aware, but it's a really good point. So moving to the point where we, we've looked at surveyors and we've looked at our industry and things are getting better. And apart from widening our horizons, changing our the way we interview, the, the, the pool that we're fishing in, what, what else can we be doing to bring more diversity and inclusivity into the mortgage market as a whole, not just in surveying, but on the lender side as well, and on the, on obviously on the advisor side too? In my observation in terms of timing, so probably maybe... Uh equipped to comment on that is there's almost been no better time you know to try and pause and do something different in terms of bringing new talent in all sorts of different levels largely because we're very fortunate to be working in an industry that has been growing now for what the last sort of nine ten months and was growing before the onset of the pandemic so the industry needs more capacity and talent so it is the right time to go about trying to bring new people in so that's probably the perfect point to tee up chloe for any of her thoughts but i'd say timing is right now to to proactively seek that new talent yeah i, w I would agree with that ben as i've recently been recruiting myself and when you you get applicants coming in it, uh, and i've had some great diversity in my applications which I was really overjoyed about, um, but it, it doesn't seem to, to happen as often as it should. 
the timing is great, but for, for my particular industry, because you need the, the knowledge and the experience, we, we have to get people kind of a lot younger. And, and do and, and so working in college environments, schools and things like that to, to open up and um, broaden, as, as you mentioned before, Barra, our pool, that for me is what's going to, I think, going to help our industry is, is to just showcase us. A lot of people don't know what surveyors do. And it's just a big education piece to make us attractive and, and go out in various diverse and, and other areas and make people aware of, of who we are and what we do and that we are an attractive possibility as a career. I think the RICS need to do a little video interview with you and just put it out there on social media and you'll be surprised at how many young women out there will go, I could be a surveyor, I want to do that. I want to be a Chloe Hilton. Funnily enough, legal in general, I've I've done a piece with them, which which should be out soon. I feel like I'm being a full person at the moment, but um, but I mean, I love my industry. I think it's brilliant, and I, the reason I became, I didn't want to be a manager at first in surveying because I just, I just wanted to crack on with my own work, but because of it's been generally male dominated and sometimes in a lot of industries you end up being a manager just because you've been there the longest and yes you do know the most and you are very experienced but there are a lot of the softer skills of management the welfare um, understanding people and and influencing uh, culture changes and I think our industry uh, in surveying needs more of that there's loads of it around at the moment but that's why I wanted to do this was to have more pastoral care and more understanding and support people because surveyors are lone workers anyway and quite uh, isolated. So it's to bring more of a team environment and to pull people together and to be proud of the work that we do and how we can make things better. And because we we have a lot of duty of care, we go into people's homes, we have to be mindful of what's going on around us if people, the vulnerable adults, modern slavery, all of those sorts of things. So it's really, I wanted to just influence a a culture change to, to make it a more welcoming and and team ethic environment. Chloe, what drives you to do it? Where does that come from with you to want to do that? What's Has that always been there? Has it been with you since start of career in 2004 or is it deeper than that? What drives you? It sounds really twee, but I like helping people. I like supporting people. I like people to have me as a support for them, that they can come to me and that I'm going to listen, that I'm, I'm going to be absolutely straight down the line. My team will attest to that. Very candid, but I will be absolutely fair and supporting and congratulatory people don't seem to congratulate people especially in this industry for doing great work and and the surveyors you don't expect it really either it's it's kind of money driven as well and commission but they do a great job and and they do so much brilliant work so my ultimate kind of aim for this is to support the team and let them know how great they're doing help them to understand how they can work smarter better more efficient listen to their ideas put them back into the industry so that we can keep evolving as a company and just doing the best work for our clients that we can. So it wasn't brought on about by a negative experience years ago with you. It's just a real positive attribute and intent from your side. There have been negative experiences. I reference people ending up in management because kind of they've been there the longest. I have had some experiences in the military as well, as well as as a civilian, where I've been managed by people who who they really know their stuff, but they're, they're not very good managers of people and they don't understand the intricacies of, of motivating people. And actually being able to 
deal with their home life. I became a manager at Legal in General in March, literally two weeks before the pandemic. I've not met any of my team and I've managed them remotely for over a year now. So being able to get trust and respect and and people to, to basically do what you want them to do and and, and support them to do what they want to do. It takes a a really good skill set of a manager. And it's not just about knowing 100% you're building pathology. It is about that, but it's about understanding people. And I I haven't always had that. I've had people who've known loads and have been great, but they haven't understood how different people need to be managed in slightly different ways also. I think you can become a very good manager from having had very bad managers. I think that's fair, isn't it? That's also very true. I also think it's something that we all need to address that in any position, when you get promoted to being a manager because you're actually good at doing your job, you do also concomitantly need management training because management isn't the same as being good at your job, being good at surveying, knowing lots about the structure of buildings, etc, etc. Managing is a completely different set of skills and strengths, which you need to learn to sit alongside your knowledge capital, not instead of. So on that note, I need to thank the amazing advertisements for surveying, which is Chloe Hilton, and the amazing adversity for eternal youth, which is Ben Thompson. Thank you very much, guys. And please, please, all the people out there that think that there isn't a job for them or this industry isn't going to welcome their talent with open arms think again reach out to your friends tell them surveying estate agency mortgage advice mortgage lending is there and open for business and growing and needs to recruit so thank you very much for listening see you next time bye if you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible Make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.